things theology, all things theology. We chop it up properly without an apology. Gotta get doxology to God hollow because this is how we do it at all things theology. Well, grace and peace, guys. Welcome back to an episode of All Things Theology, where I'm your host, K-Dub, and I'm going to be joined by a special guest. But before we do that, make sure you like this video, subscribe to the channel if you're not, and as always, click the notification bell. So I'm I'm going to be joined by, it's, you know, it's nice to do podcasts like this, you know, where you bring people on and you're big fans of their work. And uh, my guest today uh, is no other than Delano a.k.a. Professor D. What's going on? <laughs> oh, let me, uh, let me, there you go. All right. What's going on, there man? Go. Hey, Doc. <laughs> what's going on? Good to, good to be with you tonight and good yeah. to join you. And I'm a, as I told you before, I'm a big fan of your work. Um, going back to some of the Jew 3 stuff with oh, wow, Pastor yeah. John Howard Wesley. And, yeah. um, I've, I've been following your work for, for a long time. So I, I'm really enjoying this, and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. Uh, we we've been kind of interacting. I think following each other for uh, for over a year now at this point. Oh, yeah, I think for sure, and, for sure. And uh, man, just blessed by your uh, cultural analysis, man. Uh, it's so important. So with that said, let's let's get right into it, man. Um, sure. You know, because I know when I first started, kind of being challenged culturally, uh, politically ideologically with all this stuff, man, I, I kind of felt alone. I don't know if you've mm. had that, that same feeling, but you know, especially as a black man, you know, you, you kind of feel alone and you know, if you don't fit the grain, you know, you're kind of, <laughs> you know, you, you know, the names that comes with that, but oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> so, so when, when for you, did it come like where you recognize, Hey, I'm, I'm conservative. I thinking. what was that journey like for you? Um, that's a good question. So, you know, a lot of people have asked me this, you know, did, did you grow up in a conservative household? And the way I answer it is this, right? Um, my, my parents uh, immigrated from the Caribbean in the late 70s, got married. Um, you know, they were young. So my mom was like 21. My dad was 24. I was born nine months later. I, I grew up in, a, in a, the sort of village that people talk about. So immediate family extended family, right. um, neighborhood, people who will watch after me, and then church family. So mm-hmm. I've, I've always, you know, one way or the other, grown up in and around the church. So the people that raised me were socially conservative, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I grew up in New York City, so there's no Republicans to vote for. Right. So everybody voted for Democrats, right? right? So. <laughs> So nobody ever used the terms liberal or conservative when I was growing up, but in terms of their values, they were trying to, to instill biblical values in me. So that that is that's what I've known for my entire life. Um, but as it relates to being more in the public space, you know, I I started writing I don't know maybe eleven years ago mm-hmm. for a site called Black and Married with Kids. I was single at the time; I was the only single writer. Um, the site was created by a couple that's from the D.C. area, and um, it was created to provide more positive images of black marriages and family and, and you know, family life. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of, you know, advice articles and listicles and here's seven things to do to pre- get ready for marriage. Right. And um, I started writing for them, and then I wrote for The Root, and then I wrote for The Griot. And then I had my own blog for a little while. 
And then I, I started to realize um, that some of the people that I was following, you know, particularly like the black academics and pundits and elected officials, um, they said they were trying to better our community, but I realized they weren't serving our interests. And, and I, um, I, I started with talking about black and married with kids because I realized and I noticed that these people would talk about any issue that they could attribute to race or racism, mm. but they would never talk about family. Wow. Right? Ever. The only person who ever did was President Obama. And to his credit, he, he, would, he would not just, oh, I love being married to Michelle, mm-hmm. but family, marriage, fatherhood is important as it relates to social and economic outcomes. And they hated that. Yeah, there's like a viral viral clip of that, right? Like where he talks about that in. Mm-hmm. I, I remember seeing that. And, and they hated that. And they would, mm-hmm. they would crush him in Essence and in New York Times and all these other publications. And then I started to realize, like, these people don't really share my values. Mm-hmm. They don't share my interests. Um, the only thing that we share is, is pigmentation. And after a certain point, that just that wasn't enough. And as I started to grow at the same time in my faith, I needed something more than that because I realized that they were advocating values that were completely antithetical to mine. And more importantly, that completely contradicted the scripture. Right. And I was supposed to buy into it just because, you know, we're a similar complexion. So that's how I ended up writing for the Federalists because I got to the point where I'll pitch articles to the root and they would say, no, thanks. We don't really want that. And I said, all right, time for me to go. Right. And then after the Federalists, now I'm I'm writing for the Blaze you know, since last July. So it's been somewhat of an evolution Mm -hmm. during that point. As I said, I I grew in my faith. I left the church um, that it was a, it was a church that was predominantly black, but it wasn't a black church. If you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, On Sundays, it would be equal mix of Fred Hammond and Hillsong. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) Yo, I was there for 10 years and, and I felt like I was growing spiritually, but it, it reached a point where I just said, you know what, I feel like something is missing. And I realized, and this is no disrespect to the pastor or anybody who, who still goes there. I said, I don't think I had ever heard like a clear, concise gospel call, or if I did, it was rare. Right. Right. And I just, I needed more because I, I, I started to see that there's only but so much you could talk about growing your business and, you know, you come to God and your house will get bigger, your kids will behave better, your, your, your wife will look better. And there's only but so much of that stuff that, that I could take. So, yeah. you know, my wife and I, we left and we bounced around a couple of different churches and I happened upon a, a guy, um, Chris Roseboro, who does like long form discernment work. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got introduced, I'd say to people will call it more reformed theology. I would call it more uh, biblically sound and faithful theology. Right. Um, and then from there, things started to change because what I was doing, instead of having my faith in one room of my metaphorical house, and I had how I thought about money in another room mm-hmm. and how I thought about culture and politics, like... Jesus destroyed that house. Right. And the one that he rebuilt, he said, this is all, this is mine. Amen. Everything you write about, everything you think about, you should think about in light of me. Right. Um, and that's, that's sort of what I try to do every time I put pen to paper at this point. Hey man, that man, that's super encouraging. I, I know for me, like 
my kind of journey to conserve more conservative ideology uh, was in, I remember like 2015, around 2015, 2016, where, you know, well, you know, you had Michael Brown happen, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I, but, I, but also there was this incident locally where, um, you know, just a lot of police incidents mm-hmm. and there was one locally, which caused me to kind of think about it. And I remember just kind of my thoughts were not the same as, as my good friends, as mm-hmm. my, my, my good black friends, minority friends, you know? And I remember starting to be like very concerned, like what's going on? I thought, you know, I thought we thought the same thing about this, um, you know. And so, man, that, for me, that's kind of how I, I got into some more stuff. And then, you know, um, started doing stuff against the black Hebrew Israelites. And, mm. um, you know, uh, you, you know, I, I remember looking up one day and being like, yo, there's people in the church saying the same thing that yeah, they're saying, you know. And for me, I was like. I was like grieved, you know, I, like, like I said, I've lost a lot of friends, you know, yeah. th- through this. I'm sure, I'm sure you have as well. Um, just with this, th- you know, stuff, but I, I know for me, like the fact that I was like, man, I'm not alone, you know, seeing brothers yeah. like you, seeing brothers like, uh, uh, uh Daryl Harrison and Virgil, yeah, yeah. you know, Virgil. all those brothers, you man, you yeah. know? And so, so for me, like, though there's been like negative, right. Uh, it's been a lot of like positivity, like, like, because of like social media where mm-hmm. I've seen people be like, man, I can't, I can't stay silent to this stuff. You know, like, I got to speak out. That's kind of what, 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 what uh, came from, from me, like socially and theologically, right? Like right. <laughs> you see a lot of error. You like, man, people are being damaged because of this. So, so let, 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 how about this? Mm-hmm. What, what, what have you seen from, you know, more liberal politics, democratic politics that have, uh, you know, maybe firsthand damaged, uh, you may be the black community or black families, things like that. What, what are some areas you see that it, that it affects mm. right off, you know, <laughs> I, I, how, much, I, how much time we got? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, 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 it's a number of things, right? Um, I think the, the leftist worldview is one that does not acknowledge God as creator mm. um, and the highest authority mm. on this earth. I think right. they, it tends to acknowledge the state as the highest authority. And once you start there, right, if, that, if your foundation is that, um, you know, the state is, is the true God, right? Caesar is, is, is really Lord. Right. Um, then all of your theology will follow that. Your anthropology will follow that, your sociology, your mm-hmm. psychology. Mm-hmm. So how you think cultures evolve, how you think people interact, how you think people think about different issues is going to follow that. Right. So that that's sort of macro level. On a micro level, I think if I had to boil it down to three things, and I remember Thomas Sowell saying something to this effect on his speeches, is that when you destroy the family, education, and law and order, what else do you have left? Mm. Um, and I, and we've seen, and again, I, I write and talk a lot about family. Right. Um, so over the last 60 years, the, the, the black family, um, has, has been in many respects decimated, right? You go to some low income, you know, black communities across the country, Philadelphia, New York, you know, New Orleans, Atlanta, um, and you go in some of those working class and low income neighborhoods there are very few, if any children being raised by their married biological parents. They're all different types of, you know, family arrangements. A lot of it, single moms, Mm -hmm. grandparents, 
shuttling between mom and dad's house. Mm-hmm. You know, you may have multiple siblings by, you know, who have different fathers and, you know, sometimes stepdad will, will, or boyfriend will mm-hmm. step in. And so it's, it's just um, a lot. Right. And, you know, those things I think are some of the things that liberals and, and people on the left refuse to talk about um, because to them, the state is an adequate substitute for the father. Mm. And and one of the things that I've, I've been saying is that the left sets up all of black people's problems and issues as functions of systemic racism and inequitable distributions of wealth. Right, right. And that's why their solutions, and I don't care how they try to dress it up, their solutions always boil down to two things. Bigger government, better white people. Mm. That's it. Right. And that's, that's the folks in and outside the church and you know some of the names that that, that I could easily name. Right. Um, hey, feel free, man. About... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to warm up to it. Yeah, okay. Um, but it's, it's, it's always about, you know, more, more resources, more. I mean, I, I know you did the, the, the review of Pastor, you know, Eric's, Eric Mason's sermon yeah. in Philly and, you know, and. It's, it's always about more money, more resources. And, and if you look at people like Jamar Tisby, who's now affiliated with Ibram Kendi, yeah. when he's talking to Phil Vischer, creator of VeggieTales, he, he gives a definition of you know racism and anti-racism that sounds exactly like Kendi. But then he also, when he talks to other people, he gets to the point of it, which is we, we want money. Right. We want people, well, why aren't black Christian organizations funded like white ones? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe people don't see the same value. That's possible, but it always ends up being white people need to be better and the government needs to be bigger. And I mean, if we were having this conversation in 1936, I mean, there's some salience to that, right? Right, right. But in 2022, that type of mindset is how you create the next generation of serfs, of wards, of clients, of big government and the benevolence of, of white folks. And that's just not something I'm interested in. Yeah. You know what I mean? So this yeah. is, the, the left operates that way as it relates to the family. Um, it has a similar similar operating model as it relates to, to law and order, right? And, and I know you know this firsthand. Right. The only way that you, as a black person, you're getting your name mentioned by the blue check sort of Twitter folks is if you are harmed, killed, verbally assaulted, by a white person right, right, or, or a white police officer. Um, I've used this example. There's a little girl named Jasmine Barnes in, in Houston who tragically was killed, shot and killed in a Walmart parking lot. When the first description went out, it was like a white guy in his mid-40s. And on Twitter, here comes Bernice King, mm-hmm. Sean King, mm-hmm. Gabrielle Union, Lee yep. Merritt, everybody in that sort of you know, racial justice can't. Right. This is a tragedy. How could this happen? Because they said it might might be race related. How could this happen in America? Da, 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 da. Then it came out that the people who shot and killed the little girl were two black guys. Mm-hmm. And they got arrested on capital murder. Mm-hmm. Silence. Right. Nobody ever sent another tweet. Bernice King just left us. If you, if you Google Jasmine Barnes and, and Bernice King and Twitter, you will see the last tweet from Bernice King. Never updated it. Never said... Thank God they caught the killers. None of that. Um, and tragically, the person who people thought it was, thanks to Sean King, 
committed suicide seven wow. months at, seven months after he was accused of committing that crime. So, so it's 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 one of those things where um, the 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 forces on the left oftentimes are destructive. Mm-hmm. That's why they use the language of dismantle, mm-hmm. um, destroy, tear down. Um, but I'm I'm I grew up around men who were builders and planters, mm. and that's that's the type of thing that I want to emulate in my life. So, the, and I'm not saying every Democrat is like this. And obviously, right. in local politics, things look different because people are trying to address tangible concerns. Right. But as a as a national movement, you know, leftism, um, oftentimes is cancerous to whatever it 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 gets around. So yeah, no, that's that's true. Um... How about this on the topic of uh, mm-hmm. fatherhood? You know, because you you do a lot of stuff on blogging on family. Um, mm. What what is the importance of of a father? Right, you you just talked about BLM kind of really trying to get the the father out. You can you can even go back, uh, you know, to to things like welfare, which was uh you know weeding and rooting the father out. Right, um, what damage does that does? What's the importance of that? Uh, mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, it's it's wild that we even have to have this conversation because for all of humanity, right, since the beginning, um, God's created order and design for humanity was something that even pagans acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Right? They understood that it took a man and a woman to create a child and logic would dictate that it takes a man and a woman to raise a child. Um, Unfortunately, as I said, over the last 60 years, a number of uh, cultural changes, economic changes, you know, policy decisions have weakened the, the natural family. People call it a nuclear family, but the natural family in this country. And certainly that has had, you know, an even worse, like there's been even worse effects in, in, in the black community. But I mean... You know, family is the first, the family is the first institution that, that God created before an order of prophets, before a church, mm-hmm. there, there was a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say something real quick, because sometimes people, and I know I was like this when I first got married, it's like uh, a husband and his wife are a family. Now, they may choose to add children later right. to grow their family, God willing, right, if God allows them to do that either through natural birth or, or adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't need children to constitute a family. Right. And I right. think that's important. I, I want to say that because yeah. I know sometimes different couples have, you know, struggles with, with fertility or right. even struggles adopting children. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they feel as if they are incomplete or missing something. That, and that, I want to encourage good. people that that's, that that's not the case. So, um, but yeah, but, but, but family is inc- incredibly important. Um, fatherhood is incredibly important. It's one thing if a dad is not there because he was killed in, you know, military service or, right. you know, some other reason. But we're at a point in our society where the culture um, treats fathers as if we're like the cultural appendix. It's right. nice if you have one, but you don't really need it, right? right? And and my argument always is that children need their father mm-hmm. in the same way they need their mother. Mm-hmm. Because both both parents bring something different to the table, and it's not just that, but but men and women, specifically husbands and wives, need each other, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's not um, sometimes the conversations around fatherhood are are disembodied, at least to me, where they they separate 
the husband and wife who should be one and have them as two separate parties and say, kids need dad. Right. That's true. But they need mom and mom needs dad mm. and dad needs mom. Mm. And when all those things come together, then you have a, a much stronger and, and solid uh, unit. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I see it in my in my day to day life. My parents, thank God, have been married 41 years wow. this year. Um, my wife and I are coming up on 10 years ourselves. Amen. Um, and it's, it's been a beautiful thing. And mm-hmm. it's not easy. Obviously, everybody mm-hmm. who's ever been married would tell you it's not it's not easy. But the world will whisper in your ear and say it's not easy and let you think that doing it their way is easier. But having a steady string of, you know, baby mamas or or baby daddies and not sure who's who and I would never want to live like that. Yes, it's way more complicated. Way more, way more complicated. When, When you're a guy and you have five kids by four different women, not only do you have to navigate the personalities of each of those women, um, if you're doing your job, your your check is being split at least four ways, yeah. if not five ways, because yeah. you have four households that you need to support plus your own, because oftentimes in the situations like that, a guy is not living with any of his children. Um, and all of those things, to me, are functions of disorder. Mm. And when you have disorder on a large enough scale, you have chaos. And I don't think it's any coincidence that as the family structure started to decline, particularly in the black in black communities, you started to see the incidence of all different types of social maladies, right? Crime, as I said, disorder and violent crime, mm-hmm. and oftentimes by young children, teenagers. I don't think it's any it's, it's co- any coincidence that you start to see those things increase. So, yeah, I'm I'm a big advocate of fatherhood across the board, regardless of of color or, or, or religion or ethnicity. Like that's, that's one of those common graces. Right. But as it relates to particularly the African-American community, there is no path forward that I see in terms of communal progress that does not include a return to the, to the natural family structure. Mm. If we continue at this pace and people often think about it in terms of, you know, low income black folk, but one of the trends I'm keeping my eye on across the board is the number of college-educated women mm. who say yes to cap to carriage, but no to marriage. Mm. Right? They want the baby, but they don't want the husband. Yeah. And to the extent that that starts to creep up, and certainly in the black community, if you have 70, 80 percent of low-income black women who have children unmarried. And then you start to shave off another 10% of upper income black women who are not getting married. Our community is going to be crushed. Yeah. It's going to be squeezed on both sides. Yeah. So I'm keeping an eye on, on that trend again. And I think you're starting to see that across the board, regardless of ethnicity. But um, yeah, anybody who tells you that dads are just nice to have is, is lying to you. And, and, and I'll end on this. As I said, it, it, it's frustrating um, and I try to, you know, be charitable and hold my peace when I hear black Christian, black evangelicals mm. who are supposed to be biblically sound, spend more time haranguing white folks in Iowa and Wisconsin and places that they've never been in cities that they've never heard of telling them you need to say black lives matter. You need to say this and aff- you need to affirm me. 
And right. I'm saying, wait, hold on. These guys preaching in, in Atlanta, in Chicago, in Philly, in D.C., and they spend more of their um, social media time. I'm not saying that they're, they're Sunday ministry. I'm not saying that. But if you follow them on social media, more of their time is spent um, policing the behavior of white folk in far away counties than right. it is affirming the importance of God's design for marriage um, and his institution of the family. And that, that to me is a dereliction of duty on the highest order from men who call themselves shepherds. Yeah. Um, man, that, 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 man, all that was great. I, I remember, so I grew up without my father and, and until the, and there's long lasting, people don't realize there's like long lasting effects of hmm. not having a father not having a good father, like, you know, emotionally, uh, psychologically, you know, that, hmm. Man, I, I remember I had a uh, I had a flat tire once and it hit me like I didn't have a dad like to teach me. And I like I like, yeah. broke down. I was like 14, 15 years old. And for me, that was real hard. And, you know, um, man, fathers are important, you know, just to, mm-hmm. to 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 teach their children. Right. To guide their children emotionally, logically, you know, uh, all those things. And so, man, I'm, I'm right with you on that. Uh, the values of, uh, um, you know, fatherhood. Uh let, yeah. let, let's let's transition here because you're you're a big proponent of this as well as uh, homeschooling, right? Mm. Um, and man, over the years, okay, when I first got married, I was kind of like, uh, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I wanted to play football, mm-hmm. you know, you know what I mean? Right, like, right, right, so right. They got to go to public school, and then like over the years, bro, the Lord has like changed my heart to where I'm like, I don't care if they play football, like, you know what I mean? I want, I, I have, I would have to guard. And, you know, I don't have children right now, but I have to guard my children in that way and protect them from certain things. Um, you know, one of the accounts I've been following lately is uh, Libs of TikTok. Oh, yeah. And just to see the the crazy stuff coming in the public schools. Right. Like, um, wow. So what what advice would you give about like homeschooling um, and should parents take control of their kids education? Well, I'll start with the second question first. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Um, and particularly for, for, for Christians, right? I define education as equal parts scholarship and discipleship. So academic mastery and moral formation, right? So I'm pulling from Ephesians 6 where it talks about, you know, not fathers not, um, you know, uh, pushing your children to wrath. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. You know, I get you. Uh, and you know, train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, right? Yeah. That that Greek word paideia mm. speaks speaks to that responsibility that fathers have. And I mean, you see it in the Old Testament too, in Deuteronomy, mm. it talks about teaching your children as you walk along the way and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. So I think all parents should take um, a keen interest and should be fully invested in their children's education mm. because somebody is going to be shaping their morals and their values. Right. And as we see, I follow lives of TikTok too. You see the stuff every day, the types of things that schools are doing oftentimes behind parents back. Mm-hmm. So for parents, it's okay. Do you want some pink haired 24 year old teach for America graduate who doesn't own anything, who has no children, who has no vested interest in your children, right? right? Who's really just a, a political activist shaping your child's morals, or do you want to do that? So I definitely think that parents should be involved with, with their kids and in their education. Um, as it relates to homeschooling, I'm like you, right? I grew up, I said, I grew, I grew up in New York. 
Um, I went to a Catholic school for two years, sixth grade and seventh grade. Other than that, from K through 12, I was in public schools. Mm. I actually went to five public schools across that time. Wow. Two elementary, two middle, and one high school. Um, and I thought my kids were going to go to public school. I wanted them to be street smart. I wanted them to, you know, have the experiences I had and, you know, learn to spork fight and <laughs> shoot spitballs and do all that other stuff. Um, yeah. But then, you know, when, when we got married, my wife said, well, I think they should go to private school you know, in their early years. And I said, private school? Get out of here. Yeah. That's for the softies. And, that right. <laughs> and like you, you know, Lowe was working on my heart and bringing me into contact with people who thought about this more biblically, mm-hmm. right? And the name I'm going to use is one that's not going to come as a surprise to you or any of your viewers. But when I saw Pastor Vody Bacham's mm-hmm. Um, you know, sermon on homeschooling, mm. children of Caesar. Yeah, that thing hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah, and when he said that if you send, if you're a Christian, you send your children to be educated by Caesar. Don't be surprised when they come home as Romans. Yeah. Um, at that time, as I said, God was just working on me, and sort of softening my heart around that, and and giving me common sense and wisdom, right. And even, you know, when I see Vody, he's, he also did a, a series in, I think it was in Scotland for like a homeschool uh, network. And one of the sermons was titled Heaven, Not Harvard or something to that effect. I'm mm. paraphrasing. So his whole thing is like, we homeschool to prepare our children for heaven, not for Harvard. Mm. Uh, and it was during that time that even my views on college and the necessity of college was starting to change because what what parent wants to... Or what student wants to pay $50,000 a year to send a child that you've raised since a young child and you've shaped and you've molded and you try to pour into them and then you send them off and by their first semester in college, they not only come back hating everything that you taught them, but now they come back with this higher plane of knowledge that men can have babies um, and women can have penises. Right. That's... That's the type of thing that parents are paying $50,000 a year to learn on a college right. campus. And I said, there's no way that I want to do that, right? So, um, so, so yeah, so the, the progression took a number of years and, and conversations between me and my wife. Uh, another thing that I'll say to, to married couples is always keep the lines of communication open. Sometimes people feel that once you have one conversation about something and your spouse says that they believe X, that they should never be able to move off of X. Right. And if they move from X to Y, then you say, oh, you lied to me. You tricked me. Right. But it's no, you, people grow. They change, and especially for Christians. Mm. You know, as we become more conformed to, to God and his word, our hearts should change on certain things. Right. And that's one of the things that, that, that's one of the biggest areas in which I've had to change because my wife wanted to do private Christian school. Um, we, we put our daughter our oldest, who's six, in a local charter school, a public charter school, which was good. It was solid on the fundamentals, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic. But um, when it came February of her first year, and they put up their BLM mural in in the hallway, um, and I saw that they had A is for activists in one of the libraries, right? Not in her classroom. Yeah. 
but I think, a, you know, a classroom for the older kids, you know, I, I sent an email to the teacher, to the principal, and he never responded. Mm. And um, she didn't go back the next year. So we ended up homeschooling because we were thinking about doing a, a private classical Christian school. And then COVID hit, and then it didn't make sense to pay somebody all that money. All right. Basically, have your kid in front of the, the you know the <laughs> screen all day. So right. we, we, in some ways, we backed into it. But my wife has embraced it. Right. I mean, she is the she is the world champ. Yeah. She she also tutors um, at our homeschool co op uh, once a week. But our house now is full of curriculum books. <laughs> um, we have books on you know deductive reasoning. Yeah. I, I tend to do that type of stuff with 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 my daughter. All different types, you know. We have the Hobbit, and we have yeah. uh, Aesop's Fables, and we have Mother Goose, and we have right. three different math curricula. And so, I, I think she's really, you know, embraced her role. The kids love being home, um, spending time with us, uh, and I have really embraced my role um, as as provider for our family. Um, and even that was a change because when my wife first brought up leaving her job and, and you know, staying at home with the kids, I, my first reaction was, oh, no, <laughs> you, you got to stay out in the workforce, girl. And da, da, da. Right, right. Again, because I've been shaped by the culture. Even though I grew up in church, I was totally shaped by the culture. And one of the things that I have written before, and I firmly believe this, is that in many respects, men have been more indoctrinated by 50 years of feminism than women. Mm. Because men of a different generation proudly would say, I work and support my family so that my wife doesn't have to work. But nowadays guys are like, no, you need to be in the workforce. And I'm, to be clear, I'm not saying that women should not work outside the home. Right. Right. Some may choose to, some may choose not to. What I'm saying is, Guys now feel as if guys are as much interested in what a woman does for a living and her earning potential as women have always been throughout the course of history. Right. Um, and that that part is different. So even that was a was a change for me. But um, I think our household is running more smoothly because everybody, not perfectly, mm-hmm. but but we're trying our best to embrace the roles that, that God has given us. Amen. Amen. And, and, and let me throw this caveat. I'm sure you would agree with mm-hmm. this because some, you know, some, there are single households and I, I just don't want to, you know, them to feel condemned that, you know, oh, if they sure. can't house, if they can't do homeschool, then they're like living in sin. No, obviously there are, you know, um, you know, situations that would provide, you know, especially like for single parents to mm-hmm. not be able to homeschool. The, the, the conversation we're having is if you can homeschool, Correct. you should definitely, uh, pursue that route. Um, like yeah. I said, um, the Lord has worked on my heart. It seems like he's worked on your heart in that issue over the years. Just, I mean, and it's like, man, it's crazy. <laughs> we, you talked about, uh, you know, it's, you know, following the world's route seems easier. Right. But like mm-hmm. the, the more, more stuff I'm seeing, like these, these, uh, counsels from schools and stuff where I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just confirming what I've already, what I believe now, you know what I mean? And yeah. so, um, but yeah, let's, let, let's go here. Uh, like I, I talked about this in the beginning, but this cultural shift that I started to see around 2015, it seems like 
you saw that as well. <laughs> I, I want to bring something up because it was uh, three or four years ago. You already mentioned his name, so now it's free range. <laughs> but Jamar Tisby, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Um, one of the things that really bothered me, and, and, and here's where I saw the cultural shift in the church. Um, he said this on a podcast, right? Right after Donald Trump won um, the presidency, right? The election. Uh, mm-hmm. He says, I don't feel comfortable worshiping with my white friends. Um, and I had numerous Christians, reformed, you know, uh, brothers, you know, we, who we went out evangelizing, defending that statement. Um, what, what, what do you think happened? What, how, how do we get here to where, you yeah. know, um, 15 plus years ago, it seemed like black, white, you know, the church conservatively was saying the same thing. And all of a sudden you have. Uh, critical race theory now exploding in the church and um even though some deny that that's actually happening um what, like how did we get here you know uh, i mean the easy answer and the 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 proximate cause i'd say is trump for sure because right. you you talked about 2015 and obviously we know what happened in 2016 right i think he 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 broke a lot of brains and i say that with all due respect <laughs> He made it difficult for people to be able to think outside of their emotions. Mm. Um, And I mean, to be quite frank, a lot of black Christians, reformed or not, um, have difficulty publicly supporting any Republican. Mm -hmm. Now, Trump was, you know, a different beast altogether. (laughs) So it made it easier to say, oh, no, we're not down with him. But. I mean, for as long as I can remember as an adult, every Republican presidential candidate has been called racist at some point. You know, Bush, Romney, McCain. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that part is not, you know, a particular surprise. But I think part of what happened is that and the Bible speaks to this, you know, people who follow different, you know, winds of of doctrine. And we had a lot of and and part of this is retrospective because I wasn't, quote unquote, reformed six years ago. Right. Right. But as I look back on the things that people were saying at that time, and I compare them to what they're doing now, I can see the difference. And I think the desire to, uh, you know, the the healthy desire, I'd say in some respects, to see God's church um, unified and united was corrupted by, as, I, as I've said before, bad theology which always leads to bad anthropology and bad sociology. So that's how you have someone like Tisby who, and I haven't read Color Compromise, but if his main thrust is that white conservative evangelical Christians in 1954 may not have been on board with Brown versus Board of Ed, and some of them may have opposed, you know, um, integration at at public schools. Okay, that's... Nothing about that would surprise me. I mean, right. this is part of where the country was at, at that point in time. Right. But when he rolls that forward and says, now you, white Christian in 2015, either owe me something mm-hmm. or need to repent for the sins of your forebears. Right. Um, or if we talk about Pastor, you know, the BD Anyabile, um, writing in Gospel Coalition that white folk need to repent for MLK's assassination. Right. Now you're moving into a different territory. Right. What you'll never find, you know, parenthetically, is anybody ever saying who should have to repent for Malcolm X's assassination. But that's a different, <laughs> right? That's a, 
even <laughs> even then, if you're a black man, you killed by another black man, you sort of get swept to the side. Yep. But um, so so I think as I said, Trump was the proximate cause, but a lot of this has been boiling underneath, and and part of what I think is at the heart of it, and this is this is what I gather because again, I, I didn't I didn't come up in these spaces. Um, every neighborhood I've ever lived in has been predominantly black. Um, all of my schools weren't. Some were, some weren't. My church definitely was. Mm-hmm. The church I went to in college definitely was. It was a traditional black Baptist church. The collars and the swaying and the people running down the aisles and all that. But I gather that a lot of the evangelicals who are frustrated now on matters of race, and certainly after Trump was elected, are people that either grew up with or around um, white folks and have always desired a certain sense of affirmation, right? Mm. Wanting their cultural preferences affirmed and Mm. wanting the way that they see uh, current events affirmed. So when Mike, whether it's Michael Brown or Trayvon Martin, they want the white people that they know and fellowship with and grow up with to say the same things and think the same things that they're thinking. Mm. And when that did not happen and when they did not receive the type of affirmation that they thought they deserved, I think it frustrated a lot of people. Um, I I come to that conclusion because again, and, and, and what you see within church world, big Eva is a microcosm of what you see the dynamics in the larger black community, right? Mm-hmm. Where for a lot of a lot of times black folk, we don't care what we think or say about one another. Right? Mm-hmm. That's why we can listen to music with degrading lyrics and imagery, mm-hmm. be this H N right. on on a steady loop and not have any problem. But if but if a white person sings the lyrics that a that a black artist created we have more problems with hearing them say N words in Paris right. than we do with the artists who created the actual lyrics. Right, right. And what I'm saying is part of what what you see there is is black Christians who have perverted the biblical text because to them, you know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of white people. And that's why when you even hear them talk about whiteness and whiteness is both, you, you remember when the Smithsonian came out with that infographic and it was like white culture, right? It's new, it's, you know, the nuclear family, timeliness, objectivity, linear thinking, delayed gratification. And then you listen to somebody like Akemeni Uwan at, at, you know, the Sparrow Conference yep. and whiteness is, is rape and murder and yep. pillage and evil. They've created a deity that's both, you know, half little G God and half, you know, Satan, basically. Right. And that's and that's why they're so confused. They so to them, when I when I hear them talk about whiteness or, or even white people, again, they they almost corrupt the scriptures in, in, in Colossians where it says that, you know, all things were made by Christ and for Christ and in him all things hold together. But for those people, whiteness is the center of the universe. And right. they judge everything else by what 
white people say or do. And that's why when they hear brothers like me or you or Virgil or Daryl talk about crime in the black community, talk about fatherlessness and the, and the, the decimation of the black family, they get upset with us mm. because to them, from their perspective, we are taking attention away from their God, right. which is white people. Right. And they want that affirmation and they, des- they, they crave it. They crave affirmation from people that they turn around and say that they don't really like. Um, and that's why I think you see so many of them find it difficult to, to feel content. And, and the flip side is people like us who are attacked and called coons and toms and so on and so forth. Every time you see us, big smile on our face, <laughs> right? We no bitterness. Because there's no, there's no root of bitterness. That's right. Right? That's and, right. And, and that's why anybody, I can't think of any person that identifies with any radical ideology that seems at peace and content with their lives. Yeah. They're always fighting against, and they would say for something. But that type of thing has a has an impact on on your soul after a while, and I think that's why you see some of them, um, you know, on Twitter, you know, the various, you know, people anti racism this, and you got you got your your Twama queens and everybody else, you know what I mean? And they just these are not people that seem to be healthy or whole, and I and I, I should pray for them more than I do. Yeah, but but sometimes it's difficult, I'm, and I'm not gonna lie about that because they. They are so comfortable spewing invective towards people who look like them but don't think like them. Yeah. But then they want other people to be completely sensitive with all of their words, deeds, and actions, and those two things just don't go together. Yeah, I've uh, I've, I've talked about and uh, where this idea of where you can, you know some people you know can find racism anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. the smallest incident they can <laughs> find you know racism of white supremacy. I I, I remember. Uh, it was my wife and my, and my brother. We we took a train down to Dallas one day, and mm-hmm. I remember passing a, a older white lady, and you know she clenched her purse, mm. and I remember being like you know like I said this is when I was still wrestling with all this stuff really heavily, and I remember being so like, like it was bothering me all the way we got home. I'm like, how could this lady do this? You know, like mm. she, she's assuming I'm a thief because I'm black. You know, that was mm-hmm. the that was a mind process, but I. You know, I had dreads at the time, and, and one of my thought processes was like, "What if it wasn't because I was black, but rather she saw someone, someone like that looked like me, not because I was black, but looked like me, uh, assaulted her or stole from her? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it, it like that thought like sent me down a, a journey of just like I would say freedom, of like mm-hmm. <laughs> not interpreting every situation in its worst, you know." Uh, maybe a male, you know, ultimately what I got to was like, I don't know why she did that, you Mm -hmm. know? Uh, And and what I'm, what what I'm asking here is why, why do you think that so many people are focused, heavily focused, obsessed with, I would even argue with racism. I mean, I saw stuff with like, people were making connections with the, the Will Smith slap, right. (laughs) You know, or, or right. The, the NFL combine, right. Is is, is, is supposed to be this a massive, uh, you know, slave production, right? You know, if you let Kaepernick tell it, but yeah. why, why, why is this obsession with, with racism so prevalent, especially in the black community? Well, I think part of it builds on, on, a, on a history that, that actually was as bad as many people describe it, right? Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't talk about American history from 1619 or whatever date you want to start from right. 
through most of the 20th century without talking about race and racism. Um, you, you can try, but you, you won't be, you know, it's, it's, it wouldn't be an honest effort. So right. a, a lot of it is, um, you know, the, the actual history, the actual pain and trauma, people who were actually oppressed, right, who actually discriminated against. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of what happened is that when, when you build an identity on oppression and discrimination, freedom true freedom throws you into an existential crisis wow because you say i don't know who i am outside of being discriminated against mm-hmm. or oppressed so so what you'll do to sort of um calm that tension is to go find oppression mm. and then you can say oh whew, that's comfortable <laughs> yeah it's it it may not feel good but it's familiar it's the yeah. same it's yeah, the same yeah. dynamic when people get you know who who have histories of you know, like verbal or even sometimes physical abuse in relationships. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're used to dysfunctional relationships, then somebody who treats you well and communicates well and is honest, um, you may want it, but sometimes you may find yourself doing things to push that person away because that's not normal to you. Right. Um, and the fear of that person leaving you will sometimes cause you to do things that you know, if they end up leaving, you say, okay, I knew, I knew, I knew he would leave. I knew she would leave because right. that's, that's what they do. And then you, you get back with another dysfunctional person and you say, okay, this I'm used to right. fight and call the police and so on and so on and so forth. So right. uh, I think part of it is, um, the, the history is real. And this is one thing I would say to, to, you know, Christians and particularly, you know, a, a lot of white Christian brothers and sisters, um, I get why some people, whenever they even hear the term racial racism, they just like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. I don't want, but if you fight against the things that have been, what you end up doing is pushing some people right into the arms of the Tisbees and the Kendies and the Ta-Nehisi Coatses and the Cole Hannah Joneses. So it's like you, if you deny that, you know, America ever instituted, you know, racism on a systemic level or wrote the supremacy of whites into our legal code, our social customs, mm-hmm. everything, you know, from voter disenfranchisement to restrictive covenants in, in housing and so on and so on and so forth. Even uh, as I grew up in New York, the community that my parents moved into, um, I'd say probably about five to 10 years before they got there, um, there were a couple of incidences of cross burnings. Wow. This is in Queens, New York. Wow. In the late 1970s. It actually was featured in a, in a Bill Moyers documentary. Um, so it's a community called Rosedale. It used to be, you know, ethnic, working class, Italian and Irish. And as black, uh, black people started to move in, both black Americans and folks from the Caribbean, there was tension there mm-hmm. um, and some of it boiled over into actual, you know, racial violence. And wow. one of the houses that's featured in that documentary, I looked it up today, is literally three minutes walking distance from one of my cousins. Now, she wow. wasn't there at the time, but I'm, what I'm saying is some of this history is not that distant, mm-hmm. but you can acknowledge history for what it is and learn from it without then taking the next step and saying, that because you look like someone who did something in the past, um, 
you must be held accountable for their sins because right. none of us live like this right. and black Christians don't live like that because when a criminal in some big city does something, none of us feel like we have to account for his behavior or his actions. Right. Um, so I, I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, th- there is that history there. Um, people want to feel like racism is, is a thing of the past. I'd say in large part, it's probably not going to get much better than what we have in America in a large, multiracial, multi-ethnic society. Right. But I think a lot of times people are just unrealistic. There's some people who can't even have Thanksgiving dinner with their own family without a fight breaking out. Yeah. But they expect millions of people <laughs> from one racial ethnic group, and, and even white is a broad category right. that includes you know, folks of Scotch-Irish descent that go back to the 1700s, Russian immigrants from the 1940s, Italian immigrants. I mean, these are broad and imprecise categories, but they expect the the whites and the blacks to get along in perfect harmony when some of us can't even get along with our own family. So it it doesn't make sense, but as you know, a lot of these conversations are not logical in nature. They're completely about emotions. Right. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that we need strong, biblically rooted um, men to shepherd the church. Yeah. Because what we have now, both in the broader culture and within the church, is the disproportionate influence of a particular feminine way of thinking and reasoning that prioritizes feelings mm-hmm. and emotions um, over, you know, sort of logic and, and, you know, biblical fidelity oftentimes. Right. It's about how I feel, how I identify. That's, that's why the church, and I, and I know you, you see this, some of the loudest voices on issues of race, even in, in, in Christians in the broader culture, the people who write for the Atlantic, the David Frenches, the people who show up in, New York Times essays about evangelicals, you know, leaving the church. They, they, they whisper, they whisper <laughs> when it comes to anything having to do with sex, sexuality, or gender. Yeah. I mean, that's obvious. Ray Charles could see that. Right. And, and, and we, we know what it is. The culture will approve them because the culture uses them mm-hmm. to say bad Trump voters. Right. Evangelicals vote. They're bad, bad, bad. And look, we have people in their own camp who are willing to criticize them. But the, the bargain is we allow you to talk about race in the way that you do because we agree with it. Don't you dare criticize our, our idol of sex, sexuality, and gender identity. Mm-hmm. Don't you dare. And if you do, you better tread lightly. And that's why a lot of these people are, are MIA. They're silent because, as I said, a lot of it is about how I feel and how I identify and pronoun hospitality. That's J.D. Greer and right. all this other nonsense that if we had more, particularly men who were courageous enough to stand on what God's word says, um, we could beat back some of this stuff. But that's not what we have now. As I said, we have Twama Queens who every other day is about this person. <laughs> we, we went to a diner in Kentucky and these people looked at me. And I just know that they're racist. They? Yeah, I know. Oh, it's so it's so it's like, sad. Come on, bro. It's like, come on. You know, <laughs> come it, on, bro. It's it's actually belittling too. You know, because you think of like the Correct. history. It's like 
you know, black people historically have been like tough or like, you know, they went through slavery and it's like, here we are in the modern century. Like, I could just imagine like a slave just look like, really? They looked, you know, like they would probably be like bewildered, you know, like, man, how far have we come for this? You know? Um, And and, and particularly in in an era, because I have a daughter and two sons and, and I want to raise all of my children to, to, you know, believe the gospel and have their own relationship, you know, uh, with, with God and, and, and to be saved, I want to see them in heaven. Mm-hmm. But for my sons, I, I want my sons to be strong men mm. who um, could be husbands that are worth following, right? Right. Because if, if there's a young lady who says, oh, I, you know, she lets it be known to her parents, oh, I, I like, you know, the squire, one of the squires boy. And I see that uh, they're not, they're not ready. Right. I, I would tell their parents, I said, they're not ready. Right. I, I want them to be strong men mm. who can lead a family, who can be solid and not always weeping because somebody looked at you and you, now the thing is the people may look at you and say, oh wow, he has a, he has a, a beautiful family. And I, and I found that like out in the world, people, you know, will make comments and, you know, they see a dad and particularly a black dad, like they're supportive. Right. But I don't, I don't want to raise, you know, weepy, soft, um, effeminate sons. I mean, right. to me, that's one of the reasons that I think so many women, you know, feel anxiety is because so many guys have gone soft. And, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be, you know, mean or, or um, you know, engaging that hominem. Mm-hmm. But I didn't grow up around guys who every other day were talking about you know, how traumatized they are by, by somebody giving them a look. That's just right. not, that's not the world that I grew up in. So it's, it's strange to me. And as I said, for some people, it seems like they, their entire existence revolves around what they think, not even what they know, what they think exactly. white people think about them. Exactly. And that's, to me, that's the totally wrong way to go. Yeah. All right. I'm going to drop some names here and I want you to okay. first, first thought that comes to mind. All right. <laughs> Okay. Vody Bakum. Solid. Yeah. Rock solid. Yes, absolutely. Ibram X. Kendi. Con artist. <laughs> Katanji Brown Jackson. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um... Apologist. Mm. Let's, okay, let's 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 talk about that for a second. All mm. right, Katanji Brown Jackson, right? Um, you know, being nominated for Supreme Court, um, first black female, uh, well, first black woman, right? Can we still say mm. that <laughs> we're not bi- mm. biologists, right? What? Why do you think her. she? Why? Yeah. Why do you think she's so popular? Like I, I've seen, I, I've seen people that want that don't know a lick about any politics. Who could care less mm. about? You know, I, I don't know if you've seen any of the woke preacher clips about like the uh, the pastors. Just, I mean, you would think it was the second coming of Christ herself. Right, right. How how they've been talking about her in many churches, and um, you know, it's it's racism to not want her to be in office. And uh, what what you know, uh, why why would you? Or why do you why do you think that's going on? Right, right. Where she's just yeah. uh, par- paraded like this, and uh, often in the black community. Um. When, when Joe Biden said that if you don't vote for me, you ain't black, 
I think he sort of revealed the man behind the curtain mm. because I'm not sure if it was around that time, but at some other point, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Nicole Hannah-Jones, right? So author of the 1619 Project, mm-hmm. writes for the New York Times, said something to the effect of, let's not act like we don't know that there's a difference between being racially black and politically black. You're right. And a lot of people gave her flack and pushback and said that that was racist. Skin folk, not kin folk, right? Correct. But she had her finger on the pulse of a reality. Now, it may not be a reality that we want to acknowledge, but the reality is that is how a lot of people see and treat blackness today. Mm -hmm. So they will say, oh, sure. You know, Chris and Delano, yeah, they're black guys, technically, but they're not authentic black voices, right? right? To borrow terms from, you know, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. So it's one of these things where if you are black and liberal, then you you are authentically black. Mm -hmm. If you are black and conservative, you are racially black, but not politically black. And at this point, the political aspect of of blackness quote unquote right um seems to be much more important than the ethnic aspect of it and that's because political identities of all sorts have become much more important um so whether that's you know about race or sexuality or gender identity everything is particularly on the left is being shaped and fashioned into a political identity mm-hmm. so that they can amass, you know, more political power. So I'm not surprised that a lot of black churches, you know, and even again, some evangelicals mm-hmm. who now they would say, well, regardless of what her judicial record is, just seeing her there is such an inspiration. Right. And look at how our daughter looked at her and so on and so on and so right. forth. And I get it. I'm, I'm not ignorant to it. Right. Um, you and I, we, when we first got started, we talked about, you know, the importance of seeing people who look like us mm-hmm. espouse similar views so that you know you're not alone, right? Mm-hmm. So I think what we were doing, whether we said it this way or not, is we're tacitly acknowledging that representation, in fact, does matter. Yeah. My argument is that representation is overrated. Mm. So it matters. It just doesn't matter nearly as much as people think that it does. Right, right. Right? Because I could see... You know, a judge that looks like me, but if she's making all the wrong decisions, if she is consistently sentencing child sex offenders to sentences that are less than what even the prosecutor was asking for, I think that's the sort of thing that people should ask about. I don't think it's racist. I don't think it's beyond the pale. I don't think it's a smear. Um, And the fact that there were, quote unquote, conservatives who were saying that you know, senators were smearing her or trying to ask gotcha questions just goes to show, you know, that, you know, no Christian should put their hope in in politics in general and and definitely not conservative politics because with, if, if Christ is not at the center, the center won't hold ultimately. Right. So I I think there's, there's the racial pride aspect, right? Um, Much of the democratic party is just about identity politics, right? The, 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 I call it superficial representation. Mm-hmm. And I call it that because what ends up happening, and I'll give you a crystal clear example. Right? I, when I 
and during the 2020 election, I was still living in Washington, D.C. proper. D.C. has the only federally funded voucher program. It's called the D.C. Opportunity Scholarship. Hmm. Serves 90 plus percent low-income black families, right? Extremely popular. Democrats, Democrats hate vouchers. And the income administration receive, you know, some... Uh, policy recommendations from the National Education Association. Anybody can look this up. And one of the things the NEA wanted to do was eliminate the voucher program. Now, conservative estimate, I'd say 92% of black folks voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in Washington, D.C. I know for a fact, I don't even have to look at the data, that included in that are parents who send their kids to private schools using that voucher program. Mm. So these people ended up voting for an administration that will take away one of, if not the most important um, sort of public benefit that they receive, that voucher for their child's education. And they will feel happy saying, oh, my vice president looks like me. But when their kid gets bounced in 2023, when the program is shut down and is back in their failing neighborhood school, then they're going to say, well, why doesn't anybody pay attention to my needs? Mm-hmm. What's well, because you engage in superficial, you know, you, you are enamored with superficial representation. Right. Instead of asking, what does this person believe? What are their values? To what extent do their values line up with my values? Which presupposes that I actually know what my values are and cannot and can articulate them. Mm. Instead of doing that, you say, she looks like me. She wears Adidas. She carries hot sauce. She listens to Tupac. She said she used to smoke reefer in college. All of these things have nothing to do with a person representing your political interests. They are just carrots that, you know, Democrats dangle in front of your face for you to think, oh, wow, this person really cares about me. Now, now, mind you, all these people send their kids to, especially the Obamas and the Bidens, sent their kids to Sidwell Friends, which is Forty-five to $50,000 a year. Mm. Wow. And their message to poor black folk in the city is you, you should not have that voucher program, mm. right? You should not get $10,000 a year to send your kid to a private school, which is one-third of what it costs to educate them through the government school, mm. and one-fifth of what it costs those politicians to send their kids to Sidwell. You shouldn't have that benefit, right? But you should vote for me anyway because I, I look like you and I like to wear Timberlands. Right. And I think what you see with Judge Jackson is the same thing. People who have never read any of her cases, have know nothing about her judicial philosophy, um, all they know that she's a black woman. Now, what's going to end up happening, right, if I could play the role of Negro Domus for a minute, is I would not be surprised and I would be interested to see how these same people react if she is the swing vote on a landmark Supreme Court case, for instance, that either strips churches of their tax-exempt status mm. or writes um, gender identity in, mm-hmm. into the law books so that now churches would be forced either to, you know, um, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? honor or do, you know, 
people who say that they transition from male to female, like right. this is a thing that the church has to acknowledge and you got to use the right pronouns and all this other stuff. Right. If she ends up being the swing vote on a case that makes it harder for Christians to practice their faith in this country, I want to see what the people who were so proud of seeing her there, the confirmation have to say. Yeah. Because those those days are coming. Right. Um, it's, it's just a matter of when they're going to get here. Yeah. Last question for you, because uh, I made a tweet a couple days ago about how I said I'm, I'm too I'm, I'm too conservative for the conservative right parties. Right. <laughs> And so let's let's balance this out, right? Because a lot of people mm-hmm. be like, "Well, you know, you didn't talk bad about the conservatives." All right, here we go. All right, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of the conservative party, right? We see, you know, um, right? They they promote homosexuality. Uh, mm-hmm. um, they 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 seem to not be so anti uh, transgender, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with uh, you know, what uh, uh, Bruce Jenner, right? <laughs> His mm-hmm. uh, original name, Caitlyn Jenner, right? Uh, whatever you want to call him, right? Male, he's 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 a male biologically. Correct. Correct, correct. Um, what what would you what would you say to that? Because um, yeah, it, uh, is, the, is there is there needed are, are we to be more conservative than conservatives? What, how should we respond even to our own people who are maybe politically we agree a lot with, right? But yeah. there seems to be some still some mishap there, right? Yeah, uh, that's a that's a great question, right? I could answer that in a couple different ways. Now, for self-identified Black conservatives, I would say this. I think in general, across the board, across this entire country, we need a revival, not just a spiritual revival, which we do, but a revival of civics. I think the average American, and and certainly in in the Black community, um, and and I'll explain why, why I'm saying this, has a completely unhealthy relationship with our government. the government used to be known as Uncle Sam. And now I would argue, and certainly in our community, it's Daddy Sam. Mm. He's come up from the basement because he's displaced our, our actual fathers. And now he's taking his place in the master bedroom. Mm. And you see that in the way in which the government, both federal and local, has encroached further and further and further into people's homes, providing food, shelter. Um, now, there's education, healthcare, public safety. Okay, you can say those are public goods. But when you're a person that can't um, meet your basic needs without a federal bureaucrat, and that's, that is a scenario that you pass on to multiple generations, you're in trouble. Right. Because now you're beholden to somebody um, and they will dangle those provisions in front of you to, to get your vote. So um, one, I, I wrote an article, you know, a while back where I said, it was like seven rules I had for, you know, black voters. And my thing is this, my goal for writing and even for the blaze is not to convert more people to black folk to conservatism. I, I don't really have an interest in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think particularly black voters need to say, you know what? I think the main thing we need to do is sever the tie between black racial identity and supportive democratic political candidates. Right. So that a black person says, I could vote for a Democrat, right? If I think their values align with mine, 
or I could just as easily not vote for a Democrat. And neither of those two decisions is going to make me any more or less black. Right. Um, I also think that we, and now I'm, I'm going to sort of veer into, you know, to, to the Christian, to the more faith-based part of my answer. I think we need to, this is all Christians, and again, but particularly for black Christians, understand what we believe and why we believe it. One of the things that I think is an unexplored aspect of sort of our political and cultural, you know, landscape is how it is that older black church going women are so socially conservative, but vote in lockstep with the Democratic Party. Mm. So women like my mother-in-law who's, you know, over 80, like my mom. Like, you know, women I know, women I know and I right, love. Right. It's like, these are women who, again, have very, oftentimes very conservative social views, but they vote for the party of abortion up to nine months, mm-hmm. gender confusion, um, you know, race essentialism, all of these things that if you were to ask them straight up, do you think that boys should be able, or grown men should be able to compete against women in women's sports, most of them probably say, of course not. No, that's weird. No. Right. But so what you have on, on that side is it would be the equivalent of if Republicans had an Antifa wing where you have people who have totally, <laughs> um, they have totally non-conservative views, but they, but they vote for Republicans anyway. Um, which brings me to, to the crux of your question. Um, I, I don't typically identify as conservative as I sort of gave you, you know, my, my story. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fine with people using that label because right. I know it's human nature to want to try to classify things. It just right. helps the brain process more quickly. But if conservatism as a movement and the Republican Party as a, as a political machine wants to embrace gender ideology, race essentialism, if they want to normalize calling men she in their publications, in their public statements, mm-hmm. if they want to normalize, hi, I'm, I saw like the Utah governor today, you know, I'm, I'm governor such and such. My, my personal pronouns are he, him, his. <laughs> that's what they want to do. Right. If they want to argue that drag queen story hour is a blessing of liberty, I'm going to be right there with my pen, ready to run down on them on Twitter the same way I do Democrats. Right. I have no problem with that. And if that means that I'm just politically homeless and I only vote in my local elections, then so be it. Right. Because I have no interest in supporting a party. Um, it's one thing if you support the left when they do it, right? Because they're doing it, doing it for the purpose of indoctrination and to recruit a new constantly recruit new classes of voters. Mm-hmm. Conservatives do it because they're scared. Yeah. And that's different. Yeah. Now, some may argue that, you know, it's worse to follow the true believer, right? Which would be the Democrats. Like they 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 say that they believe this stuff. They don't really right. They don't really think that trans women are women. Right. Because if they did, you put them to the test and you say, okay, all right, so when you fill out your Tinder profile you 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 check the box that says you're you're interested in in uh you know male women right, right. so they don't do that right but at least they pretend to be true believers 
Conservatives, on the other hand, oftentimes, and I mentioned David French, and I saw he tweeted today about how conservatives are using the term groomer too much. And, oh, I'm just like, this person, this maybe in 2014, he was writing stuff that was like solid and right. necessary and sort of spoke into that cultural void that, that conservative Christians could fill. But he's just the wrong man for the job. Yeah. Because if you think that the, the biggest sin is to call people who want to talk to your three-year-old about transgenderism um, and, and they want to talk to your kid about sexuality and not tell you about it. If you think it's a bigger, that that is a lesser sin than calling those people groomers, then you and I just have different, you know, value systems. Right. So I think for conservatism, a lot of it is they're scared and they're scared because the same way my mom told you how a, a lot of sort of the black evangelical folks want to be affirmed by mm-hmm. white people. Mm-hmm. A lot of the conservatives want to be affirmed by the left. They want to feel respected. They want to go to dinner parties. They want the people who read The Economist and The Atlantic and go to Davos and and, and who vacation in Aspen. They want to be able to hang out with those people. Me, I have no interest in that. I like to eat barbecue. I like to eat oxtail and, and, and rice and peas with my family. I have no interest in being seen as respectable by people who think that they have a right to pervert the minds of our children. Right. If those people hate me because I say God created male and female and I'm not moving one inch off of that, mm-hmm. I'm not playing your silly pronoun games, I'm not putting my pronoun in my bio, I'm not doing any of that stuff, I'm not right. ceding one inch of ground to you. Mm-hmm. If they want to hate me because of that, I'll take that. And I'll take my butt down to the local barbecue shop <laughs> and I'll eat my, my spare ribs by myself. And they can go to Davos and eat finger sandwiches. That's right. But I think part of it is just conservatives are scared and they lack backbone. And that's one of the things that, even though, again, I think, you know, Trump had numerous personal flaws. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that he gave the right is a fighting spirit. Now, he wasn't my preference because he he wasn't a particularly happy warrior. Right. Right. And that that fight was not a biblical fight. Right. It was a personal fight mm-hmm. about his own ego. But when I see someone like, you know, Governor DeSantis, who who understands the issues and understands the fight that we're in and does it, you know, with a smile on his face. I think that's the type of thing that conservatives are looking for. Mm-hmm. But even with that, I do not assume that anyone who self-identifies as conservative is automatically Christian. Right. I don't hold people to that unless they profess, you know, to be believers. Mm-hmm. But I think a big part of it is they want that respect and affirmation because yeah. they still are playing by the left's rules. They think that, that the left is the side that stamps and imprints you as respectable and acceptable in society. And we, as particularly as believers, mm-hmm. need to be ready because we need a wartime faith at this point because the culture war is, is hot at this point. Yeah. It's hot. You can't get away from it. Even can't I have friends it. that, yeah, in, in kinder care. Yeah. I mean, aftercare for toddlers is introducing the diversity, equity, inclusion, the pride flags and the different gender identities. So you can't escape it. So if Christians are more concerned with being respected by the world and, and getting in pages of the New York Times and the Atlantic and castigating other evangelicals and telling them that they believe the big lie, right? You think Trump won the election? That's the big lie. 
right. while they let a civilizational lie that men can become women and women become, can become men and they let that slide. Right. Right. If they do that because they want to be respected, we we just need to say, you know what, we, we can just go our separate ways because right. if if you're not willing to die on that hill, I don't know what hill you're willing to die on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Uh, definitely agree, man. Where, where, where can people find you, man? Um, I do most of my uh, <laughs> attempts to stay out of trouble on, on Twitter. They can just follow me at Delano, D-E-L-A-N-O, Squires, S-Q-U-I-R-E-S, all one all one string. So yeah. it's the same handle on Instagram, but I, I tend to do a lot of posting on, on, on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and then I'm on Fearless for Jason Whitlock twice a week, typically Tuesdays and Fridays. And um, yeah, they can they can check me out there as well. Cool, yeah, definitely make sure you follow his uh, his his Twitter. Uh, stay tuned to more content, articles, read them, digest them. Uh, yeah, be challenged by them. I, I know I have, and man, just thankful for all you do, bro. Thank you, man. Yeah. Same here. Yeah, yeah. Same here. Continue to do your good work. Uh, I, I I watched some of the videos of the Black Hebrew Israelites, and I said, yeah. man, this is brother, <laughs> he, he's he working. But let me tell you something. Yeah. I, I pray that you would reach some of them and some of them would repent of their false yeah. beliefs and and follow the true gospel. Absolutely. Um, and honestly, and I'm going to throw in one last jab. Um, I pray that some of the self-professed black evangelicals who are de facto Hebrew Israelites. Yeah. Yeah. Who think that the, that the, that the Edomites are inherently wicked. Yep. Now they love, Again, they lack the conviction. They're not true believers. Right. Because when I asked the, the guys in my barbershop, the Hebrew Israelites, what well, can can a, can a white person be saved? And they go they go all around and then they, they get to the place where they said no. Right? Okay. Now obviously I disagree with them. Right. Obviously that's unbiblical, but at least they're clear with what they believe. Right. Some of these other folks, they don't say because they again they lack the courage of their convictions. Right. But they talk around it. It's the original sin. Whiteness is the original sin. Mm-hmm. Well, how can I, as a white person, ever stop being white? All right. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I, I hope the same thing for some of the, you know, the black evangelicals who engage in in uh, similar types of rhetoric as the Hebrew Israelites, but lack their, their conviction. I, I hope they also repent yeah. and, you know believe the, the true gospel so Amen. um i'm gonna continue to pray for you yeah continue to to do what you do 